0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at quiz.fox. This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. This week, we spoke with former FEMA Administrator Brock Long about Hurricane Idalia. What hazards and issues crop up after a storm like that? How much luck may play a role if damage isn't as bad as it could have been? Long explained that if the storm had been just a bit to the south, damage would have hit higher population areas. He explained how some cities are in notably more dangerous or precarious zones than others. He also pleaded with Congress to provide enough money for the Disaster Relief Fund, as a number of disasters are happening right now, he said, that aren't necessarily making national news. We often have to cut interviews down for time during the week, but thought you'd like to hear this full interview. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the Weekday Rundown podcast if you haven't already. Now, here is Brock Long on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Let's just talk first about um, what people like in the coming days. And you've seen you've seen all the damage, obviously, and you've seen the, the storm surge and the flooding. What What are the dangers maybe people often forget about or just the simple realities of sort of the aftermath right
1: right so uh well you know right now i think adalia is a great example that not all hurricanes and tropical storms are just coastal events um this one is obviously trucking at 20 miles an hour forward speed uh 20 miles an hour um through Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, which means that many of these states are going to experience hurricane force winds, which is going to cause a lot of damage. Um, typically what you see in major landfalling hurricanes is that storm surge causes the most amount of damage and, and often the most, um, it is the, 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 the greatest hazard that causes, uh, let me back up here, you know, life safety issues, right? It's the reason that we issue the evacuations. A lot of times, like what you saw from uh, Hurricane Ian and Lee was storm surge damage, where the ocean rose and wiped out buildings and infrastructure. Um, Luckily, where this storm went in, it was some of the least populated areas of the Florida coast, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to see tremendous amount of damage as a result of 16 feet of water. And then on top of that, you have three to six feet of waves breaking on top of that storm surge so there will be um, structures that have been completely wiped out along the coastline and back in the inlet waterways and marsh areas uh, which will be total losses but i'm actually really concerned about as this system moves through the hurricane force winds that will move through rural parts of florida and georgia and south carolina um, particularly where Manufactured homes and, and trailer homes are just not built to a standard to be able to withstand this this type of wind intensity.
0: Mm. What about that? Because when like I'm used to, for example, earthquakes and fires, but if you're in a certain part of the country and you're dealing with a lot of water, you are dealing with, as you've already noted, with storm surge sort of a different Um, level of catastrophe. I think a lot of us think of access to clean water if everything's been flooded out. Or if you've been in one of those manufactured homes and you're trapped and you call 911 and you eventually get rescued, what happens next to you? Do you go to a shelter? Do you try and find a family member? It seems, is, is is there organization
1: yeah. So, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a lot of organization which we'll come back to, but typically those who stick around and experience storm surge don't live to tell about it. That's that's mm-hmm. the tough part about storm surge. Storm surge is the reason, the primary reason, why we ask people to evacuate. Um, it's not the wind intensity necessarily. Now, while wind intensity defines these storms, uh, the higher the intensity, the greater the storm surge typically, and that's what causes all of the damage. So, what you're going to see in and where the eye made landfall is roadway systems that are gone, beaches that are gone, um, you're, you know, like uh, bulk water systems and water infrastructure flooded out, uh, which yeah. does contaminate the water and take some time. And as it moves inland, you're going to see more wind impacts, obviously, um, because the forward speed of this storm is so great for a Gulf Coast storm at 20 miles an hour. Typically, the faster it's moving means less rainfall. That doesn't mean that a lot of areas will see some flash flooding and, and inland flooding. But again, this is you're primarily you're going to see wind impacts on public infrastructure, power lines down, Um you know, homes, roofs, um, damage, those types of things. Now, when it comes to the response, Jessica, it's a team sport, right? So, I've always said that disaster response and recovery is locally executed, state managed, and federally supported. So, hmm. typically, people think that FEMA is in is in charge, and that's not really the case. You know, you know, the the, the governors of states that are being impacted by disasters typically lead the command and control and provide FEMA where. Uh, they're experiencing gaps or shortfalls in their ability to respond and recover. And that's where FEMA is, you know, they stage, they pre-stage teams, equipment, commodities, you know, you name it, outside of where the storm is going to impact, but not too far to where they can't get in very quickly after the storm to augment the local and state response capability. Right. And that's what's going to happen. Right. Think, and that's yeah. what it is happening.
2: Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table the Duffy's at Foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.
0: So and I'm gonna ask you more about that in a couple minutes, but um, you know, as you just noted, this this particular storm did move pretty quickly for a, a Gulf Coast hurricane. Um and I, I wonder, because Governor DeSantis noted that, too, and everybody, as you just did as well, noted that it, it made landfall in a, a less populated area of Florida. I, I wonder, <laughs> um, especially, uh, this is a great question for you as former uh, FEMA administrator, um, is luck uh, <laughs> as, as important uh, as having that highly coordinated response? I mean, even if there's, even if there's some devastation.
1: Well, you know, I do believe that the federal government, you know, by reading all the reports and I've had plenty of contact with uh, Deanne Criswell, the administrator of FEMA, and I'm, um, you know, and I'm very well versed at how FEMA works. And, and again, the state of Florida is no stranger uh, to these events. And I I worked directly with the state of Florida uh, during hurricanes Irma and Michael. And then, you know, of course they had Ian last year in Lee County. And now this one, you know, they're no stranger to this. And I can tell you that for the past, 48 hours, uh, there was a large movement of federal and state resources to staging areas like Maxwell Air Force Base, Atlanta, Orlando, Columbia, South Carolina, ready to move in forces if the worst of the worst was experienced. Now, I think what's really interesting here is that the Tampa Bay area has always been considered by FEMA uh, a catastrophic planning area, which means it's incredibly vulnerable. And the citizens that reside in Tampa and Tampa Bay need to take note that this storm went well north of them and made landfall, but still brought six feet of storm surge in some of the Back Bay and Inland areas up to Tampa right. Bay. Had that storm gone in just to the south, uh, you know, or just you know, right around Tampa Bay, and you saw maximum radius winds pump water right into Tampa Bay, it would have been absolutely a devastating storm and we would be talking about a different dire Mm. situation you know and um you know when it comes to the citizens what we always say is you know insurance is the first line of defense. and i know there's big debates in california and florida about insurance industry pulling out but the last place that citizens in the united states need to pull back funding is insurance coverage Mm. you know if you lose your home and you're uninsured or underinsured that's when you will never recover from a financial standpoint. Um, it will be devastating. And there are studies that would suggest that your credit spirals out of control for the next 10 years as a result of that. Right. Wow. And, you know, I, I do think that we have to have, we've got to have a serious conversation in this country about how we incentivize stronger building codes, land use planning, um, mm. the use of both insurance for reinsurance for infrastructure, but then also how do we get major insurance players back to the table in communities to help out citizens? Because it is the first line of defense and really the only thing that they have when all is lost.
0: I know that's a huge conversation in California, too, with wildfires. And I mean, for years out there, it's been, why did we allow people to build here again? And then it, it turns into this uh, such a bigger discussion about, um, like you just said, like planning and, um, and really urban growth, suburban growth, sprawl. Um, Brock, tell me about planning, because you know you look at like the California wildfires um, for years after people have been killed. You look at maybe a lack of pre-disaster planning or, and, and that turns into, well, you know, let's shut off the electricity the next time there's a wind-driven fire. We're talking about Maui right now, right? And there are already lawsuits against the electrical company there. Um, it seems really often kind of to your point that we're learning an awful lot after the fact about about the response after the fact and incident after incident.
1: Yeah. And and listen, I'm not an expert on what exactly happened in Maui by any means. And I, I don't you know, have the right to comment on what actions were taken or not. But if you want to talk about the power industry, um has got to work with congress as well as local communities on creating larger setbacks for power lines correct Mm -hmm. you know so when trees do fall they're not impacting power lines and you know a lot of times citizens get upset when power companies come and trim trees for example um you know and all of this is being done to mitigate future disasters and you know shutting off the power Um, to prevent wildfires may sound like the right thing to do, and in some cases could be, but when you do that, you're also impacting public health infrastructure or other things, the other infrastructure that has to be working. And in some cases, like Maui, as I understand, for example, the, the water system is electrified. It needs power to be able to operate. You have to have, you know, power to operate the water systems. But the thing that that emergency managers and FEMA, you know, really doesn't have any control. It's not the Federal Electricity Management Agency, even though we were right. put in charge of rebuilding a power grid in Puerto Rico, which makes no sense. Um, <laughs> you, you know, the, the, the bottom line with that is, is that, you know, people... Um, do not want power to be rebuilt in a manner that it will be mitigated uh, for the next event because they want the lights on right now. And, um, you you know, unfortunately, you, you can't have your cake and eat it, too. So what happens is, is that the power lines get restrung very quickly to reduce the downtime of the power being off. Yet when, you know, when we have these devastating events like a Maui or a Hurricane Michael or whatever else, why are we not just going ahead and taking the time to bury the lines or build them in a manner where the lights are going to be off for a while, but we're going to have, but the the chance of them going down in the future is, is greatly reduced.
0: Yes, burying the lines. That's a whole other podcast. Um, okay, finally, Brock, you were FEMA director during a I mean, I, I think it's fair to say a highly political time, all times really feel political these days, but we're, we're watching a governor run for president who then has to go back and be governor. He has got to be the first responder in chief right of his state. What I guess in hindsight, now that you have the luxury of hindsight, what, what is the best way to deal with politics um, when people who are dealing with flood damage to their homes or even worse, just don't want to hear about politics?
1: Well, if I could wave my wand and reinvent FEMA, first of all, I would make it a politically neutral agency, um, you know, that is not at the whim of who's the president of the United States. Um, you know, governor DeSantis is doing the right thing. He is the chief executive of Florida, regardless of a campaign. And he is, you know, obviously a take charge governor. Uh, I, I was fortunate to work with him on the back end of my time in 2019. He's a take charge governor and he's doing the right thing by leading his state, you know, when lives are in danger. And uh, the campaign will come back later. Right. And, and, you know, any advice to a governor is this is your disaster. You have to take charge. People are depending on you and um, you know, governors, strong governors in charge working very closely with, you know, FEMA is what it takes to get through these things. And you can't have finger pointing um, and and blame it. You know, you've got to be able to work in a unified manner to help people overcome these disasters and help communities rebuild. And, and I've always said, Hurricanes, wildfires, earthquakes, whatever it may be, they don't they don't recognize uh, Republicans and Democrats, Jessica. And Jessica, I'll tell you, one other big thing that's really happening yep. right now is this argument over the Disaster Relief Fund. Um, I can talk yeah, about I just heard some.
0: Yeah. I just heard some questions about that in the White House um, briefing yeah. about um, and Criswell was saying, like, stop it. We're, we, we will still be able to respond to emergencies. But every reporter was like, yeah, but are you going to have the funding?
1: Yeah. So so what's happening you know, with the disaster relief fund is one, Congress has got to, you know, listen to FEMA's request for more funding and get it done. Um, because what, what FEMA has got to do right now is implement what's called immediate needs funding, where they can only spend money on life-saving and life-sustaining activities. But what people don't realize is, is that FEMA is incredibly busy. It's not just the Maui wildfire or, the you know, the current Hurricane Adalia, right? They have currently, right now, 23 joint field offices up and operating across this country supporting 75 different open disasters. Okay. So a lot of the disasters and disaster declarations that take place, you know, don't make major major news, right? But when they move to immediate needs funding, they cannot put money out to finish the recovery of communities that were impacted maybe last year, the year before, or or three or four years ago. And so, you know, it's really important for Congress to not let the DRF lapse or run out of money and put the tools back in the FEMA administrator's toolbox that they need to get the job done.
0: What, What are you, are you saying then, what are you saying? Funding needs to not be on an annual basis. It needs to be sort of in perpetuity and you just have access to it and let it grow.
1: Well, you know, what I'm saying is is that the disaster relief fund when it gets to critically low levels needs to be at the top of Congress's attention and okay. Congress needs to approve funding. Um, you know, the DRF is should not be a political um leverage either. Um, you know, this is money to help people respond and recover from disasters and um you know, you can't leverage other spending priorities outside of the DRF with this funding supplemental request.
0: Hmm. Uh, Brock Long of the Haggerty Consulting Group and former FEMA administrator, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, Jessica. I appreciate
0: it.
2: Starting Monday, August 21st, the co-host of The Five and co-anchor of America's Newsroom returns with a brand new podcast. I'm Dana Perino, and this is Perino on Politics. Subscribe to the series wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.